one of the first fundamentals for a pharmacist is to sit back for a moment and look at their business and say, would I buy my business? Take the investor perspective. Have I got a good, unique point of difference? Am I really known for something? Is my product mix consistent with my primary demographics? If I'm in a primary demographic of, say, high birth rates or or aging population, what is that demographic? And what is my retail offer and my point of difference? What is my customer relationship like? Am I sending out information to my customers? Do I know my top 150 customers or 100 customers? Am I confident that my salespeople and my people on the floor are giving great service? Am I understanding that they understand products? Am I making sure that my fundamental offer is as good as it can be? Hi, I'm Brian Walker, CEO and founder of Retail Doctor Group, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Business and Career Network podcast, brought to you by the Pharmacy Guild of Australia. Focusing on pharmacy management and ownership, the PDCN podcast supports the improvement and growth of your business performance with insights and advice from a range of industry professionals. The PBCN Podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. Today, we are speaking with Brian Walker, founder and CEO of Retail Doctor Group. Brian has steered his business to become the leading retail consulting firm, specializing in taking insights-driven strategy into award-winning implementation, working across omni-channel retail, franchise and service sectors in every retail category. Brian will be discussing his perspective on pharmacy retailing in Australia, the opportunities and the challenges facing community pharmacies, and why it is important for pharmacy business owners to focus on driving efficient and effective retail operations, in-store experiences, culture and values, and of course, sales benchmarks to drive business success. Here's Brian. Brian Walker, welcome and thanks for joining us on the show. As we heard in the introduction to the podcast, you are the CEO and founder of Retail Doctor Group. Tell us a little bit about Retail Doctor Group and its value that it provides to pharmacists. And I'd love to hear about this interesting fact that I came across in my research where you were named in the top 50 global retail influencers for 2018-19. Well, Retail Doctor Group started 15 years ago and I started it after a career in retailing, running franchises, and I even worked for the uh, Shopping Centre Business Westfield for a few years. But the core passion was always about retail. And I'd had roles uh, really up to a sort of director and general manager in, in retail operations primarily at that point. And what I saw in the market were uh, consultants who'd come to us and advisors who were all very good at the what to do. But I, I always grew up in the how to do it. So I built the business fitness modules, programs of design to help retailers and businesses in business to consumer, um, if you like, implement their strategy or their point of difference. And these modules range from branding to visual merchandise, uh, category, cardio, stock movement, inventory, people, uh, leadership, how, and, and of course, increasingly in this thing called omni-channel, so involving online. And so when we work with clients into the value to pharmacists, we're really zeroing in on how to become better and more effective at the retailing aspect of a pharmacist's business. And that's become even more important now for all the, the industry transitions that are occurring for pharmacists. 
as all industries is undergoing change and transition. Um, and so really, as we start to talk a little bit this morning in this session, I'll explore some of the reasons why that's occurring. So the final part of that, yes, well, not only are we now very heavily focused in that implementation, we have an insights consumer market business insights into distribution strategy, into implementation business, and that's really the, sort of the, the bigger project business. And about five years ago, in fact, longer now, seven years ago, I was we became the Australian elected member for a global alliance group called Ebeltoft. So we do projects domestically and internationally. We write out white papers, innovation studies. I'm a keen blogger on retail, heavily involved in social media channels like LinkedIn. Uh, and so really, I think that sort of global retail influencer is really a, an expression of my love for retail and my passion for the industry. And that was noticed by organisations such as Vend who had these yearly awards. Very good. Now, Brian, you spend a lot of time with businesses on the front line, obviously, and across many sectors. What's your perspective on pharmacy retailing in Australia in terms of structure, but also as well as what you see some of the opportunities being and the challenges are? Uh, yes, I do spend a lot of time in retail and pharmacy retail, and I, I sort of alluded to this earlier, is undergoing, uh, as all retail is, uh, Transstructural change, and uh, there are, you know, listeners know only too well the pressure on the regulators to, to deregulate, um, yeah, and certainly these sort of macro environmental issues for pharmacies. And and in the sector, we see the growth of businesses like Chemist Warehouse, which are now 28 to 30 percent, I understand, of all pharmacy business. And we see as communities become more urbanised as we see the Amazonian models come into the marketplace, as we see the, the, the push by supermarkets to be carrying more pharmacy product, we see challenges for independent or community pharmacists. And here's an interesting little one. You know, we look at the average turnover of retail product in a pharmacist. So that is non-script business. And we see sales of about $5,000 a square metre on average. And that's an important metric for listeners to consider. Uh, now, we know that general merchandise should be anywhere between eight to $12,000 a square metre. So where I see one of the great challenges for independent community pharmacists is to continue to build their point of difference, their uniqueness, their capability in, in retailing, their capability in unifying their retail product to their core point of difference, their ability to build databases. We live in a world now where data is king. If we look back up globally, the top five companies in the world, you know, the Facebooks of this world, the Amazons and so forth, their market cap value is really predicated on their data. And so data is becoming king and queen of this omni-channel space. So we see that change and we see pharmacists increasingly needing to consider their physical retail environment and having an online offer as well. And then the third aspect of that integration is this idea of building community. So um, that point of difference, building community, attracting advocates and relying 
or rather integrating the script business with a highly differentiated retail offer. And that is both the opportunity and the challenge. So some great opportunities and some challenges along the way. Independent community pharmacies are like most small businesses, though. They get pulled in lots of different directions across things like customer service and staff and legal and marketing and finance, etc. And there's there's lots of experts focusing on each area and telling them what they should be doing in that area of expertise. So it can be somewhat overwhelming when they so often have limited resources to address the challenges or take advantage of the opportunities. But from your perspective, where do you think independent community pharmacists should focus their endeavours for the greatest gain at the moment? Great question, and it's so true that that occurs. One of the first fundamentals for pharmacists is to sit back for a moment and look at their business and say, would I buy my business? Take the investor perspective and say, would I buy my business? Have I got a good, unique point of difference? Am I really known for something? Is my product mix consistent with my primary demographics? If I'm in a primary demographic of, say, high birth rates or, or aging population, what, uh, what is that demographic? And what is my retail offer and my point of difference? What is my customer relationship like? Am I sending out information to my customers? Do I know my top 150 customers or 100 customers? Am I confident that my salespeople and my people on the floor are giving great service? Am I understanding that they understand products? Am I making sure that my fundamental offer is as good as it can be? And I think we start there. We start by building on what we have, really continuing this path of differentiation. We, we can't just be, you know, in the suburbs or anywhere really having an undifferentiated script-driven business with low sales return for retail because ultimately we think that's going to be very challenged. The point about resourcing is a good one as well. You know, for example, we would say that um, a small business should be thinking somewhere between five to ten hours a week on its social media and website activity. It should be spending probably at least 30 minutes per employee per week on coaching and upskill and training them. So there's two examples of investing both in the, the, the online digital space and, and investing in our people. And we know, for example, that on average, the average Australian spends three and a half hours a day on their smartphone or uh, iPhone, smartphone, so forth. We also know that online research is, um, depending on the the ticket item, anywhere up to 80 to 85% influencing a, a purchase. Now, that will be slightly less in pharmacies, but we've got all these consumers Shopping is differently now. And interestingly, that's predominantly, but not exclusively, the domain of younger and middle-aged people. We also see older people going online and searching and so forth. So it means that our staff need to be better trained than ever before, more knowledgeable than ever before, have congruent retail mix of product to their point of difference, and be able to be solution providers while still building 
reputation and building um, community. And of course, we know how trusted pharmacists are. Building on that trust comes by the human relationship. Um, and so, you know, I, I would be zeroing in on those core areas. Point of difference, congruent retail offer, highly trained, efficient, people-loving staff. I think it's a great point, particularly the one about a script-driven business in the suburbs isn't uh, a, a differentiator for your business. And it's an important point when you couple it with your comments about smartphone use being around about three and a half hours a day that people spend online and they're spending a lot of that time looking for solutions to needs, wants and problems that they have and, and doing research because we live in a world of increasing online growth in retail. And just last week, there was a story in Canberra about Wing, a subsidiary of Google that has been delivering burritos and coffee and some pharmaceutical products by drone to the suburbs as part of a trial. They've just announced that they are also about to start delivering purchases within a three-hour time frame from the online shop, The Iconic, the online clothing retail store. As distribution channels change and pricing becomes more and more of a differentiator that's seen important by the consumer, what do you think the implications are for bricks and mortar pharmacists? Oh, well, the implications are very consistent with um, my earlier comment, Daniel, and that is that uh, pharmacists in many ways have to get back to the future and that is really zeroing in on the human experience because uh, yes, as we look at the, the model in you know the, the trillion dollar cap of market value of Amazon, Amazon is a, a gated data community but I use it as an example as I think about drones and iconic and so forth um, and it, fundamentally in the US and increasingly overseas is a fulfillment and distribution channel with a web service engine driving it. So it's all about this idea, high convenience, speed to market, fulfillment, price. And if pharmacists allow their products to become commoditized, then they fall into that ballywick, into that space. Uh, but the one thing a drone can't do is lift a person currently to another person and have that human experience. So the implications are, and we're seeing it across bricks and mortar retail uh, right now, is that the middle ground of undifferentiated, boring, uh, low focus on experience retail, uh, they're really starting to struggle. And at the moment, online retail, for example, is about 8% of Australian retail sales. Uh, and it's not much different in the US. It's about, in Australia, it's about $30 billion a year. But it's growing at double-digit rates. So it, it will never take over the physical retail, but it will certainly disrupt the commoditized transactional retail. And we see some pharmacists who, you know, are making and, – and they work hard. Everyone works hard, and we, we acknowledge that. Making 90% of their revenue, in extreme cases, on a script business. And their sales of retail – actually doesn't pay its way. Now, what we're saying is that's the area of great vulnerability. And whilst it appears to be a strength, we try to help pharmacists get to a 50-50 ratio of retail sales to scripts at least. So the point about the iconic, of course, is that they're in the business of fulfillment of commodity product 
and getting it to consumers as fast as they can. And so drones are a, a method of affecting that distribution. However, the implications for bricks and mortar pharmacies in, in, in some way are to really zero in on being what we call fit for business. And retail ultimately, particularly in a high trust profession like pharmacists, is a human to human business. If we lose track of that, we become fodder for these larger convenience type uh, fulfillment models. We often talk to our clients about the difference between buying and shopping. Shopping is the human experience. It's the, it's the pharmacist who says hello. It's the staff member of the pharmacist who asks you about something that you, you're both familiar with. It's the pharmacist trained to understand your needs, give empathetic advice, provide uh, the correct solution, and then inquire the next time you come back in. It's, that's the human experience that online can never replace. Business owners so often spend time wondering if they are on the right track and sometimes they don't really know what they should be looking at in terms of success measures apart from those big ticket items like turnover and profit and sales per square metre. We know, however, that it isn't just all about those big ticket items. What are some of the key measurements, the KPIs that you encourage pharmacists to develop and and actually utilise and, and measure and work towards? Uh, well, some of these might seem a little bit unorthodox and some will seem very orthodox. I, I, I do think it's important that a team of any size has a bit of a plan and that typically comes from the leader. So it could be a retail plan or it could be the pharmacy plan. I think it's always good that staff are encouraged to have two or three good ideas that the business can bank on and they're encouraged to bring that in. So one of the softer metrics for mine is are we producing good ideas to help this business along. Um, the other sort of metric in that space for me is are we only are we getting good customer satisfaction scores? Do we mystery shop? Do we get letters from clients? Uh, these days it's all social media, so are we getting Google reviews? Are customers liking us? Um, are we doing some really nice stuff for the community around us? not just about our business, but are we doing stuff to help the local community? And I think that's that's important. So there's some of the softer pieces. I think it's important that coming back into the metrics of the harder space that we know our stock turns, our stock turns by category is very important. You know, I, for example, if I just give you an example of that, uh, I've seen two pharmacists, both with $900,000 sales, let's say. One of them, has stock on hand at about 450,000 in retail, the other has 300,000. So one store has $150,000 worth of stock sitting on shelves getting older that will hardly ever sell. And that's money that they could be using for holidays, reinvestment, refitting, paying off debt, whatever it might be. So understanding those metrics are important as well. So you've got a mixture of sort of soft, a customer feedback loop into the business via mystery shopping or Google reviews. And then a couple of other sort of uh, firmer KPIs around um, inventory stock are also very important. Maybe that 150K in that tired and aging stock that's tied up could go into team 
building. And this is a question that I so often ask our guests because they've built successful businesses. That's why we get them on the show to share their experiences. And one of the things they always do is sing the praises of their team. They don't try and take credit for the success of their business. It's definitely a team effort and they're very keen to point that out to the listeners. So I'm interested to try and pick their brain about what they've done to build a great team. That obviously focuses on the pharmacy sector when we speak to them. But as we've mentioned, you work across retail more broadly. So I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on what builds not only a great retail team, but maybe even a great retail pharmacy team. Yeah, and I think the pharmacy sector has many great leaders. Um, well, uh, if, if I look at, you know, we've probably worked with about, I'm not sure, 800 businesses over the years of varying descriptions. Um, there's a really great leader. Well, I think the first thing is that the leader has a curious attitude. They have an appetite for wanting to do things better. They're happy to read and think about and take advice. So they're, so they're, they're interested in, in uh, you know, sort of the external world and they're very interested in developing this idea of how do we do this better why are we doing it this way? So they're questioning in that sense. I think the second level is that they are people who want their people to be successful. So they're encouragers, they're, they're positive, and they're also very goal-driven. So that's a couple of the points. I think that they also um, get out amongst it themselves, so they're, they're not afraid to walk on the floor and talk to customers. Now I'm being really specific about the pharmacy-type businesses. Uh, walk and talk with customers, they're, they're coaches, they're natural coaches. So they tend to rely more on the, the, the art of leadership than the science of management, if you like. But then finally, they're very good managers and they've got good boundaries, good compliance, good uh, rules of engagement, if you like, between staff and customers. And I think maybe I would add one more comment. They're... They're good at bringing their teams together, and that might be for a drink after work right through to a bigger national channel having a conference. So they, And they tend to ask opinions. So, yeah, I think they're, the, they're some of the, the core prerequisites. And a good pharmacy leader would look at their business and say, well, if we're, you know, to use that metric, $7,000 square metre, what have we got to do to get to eight? And then they ate the target, and then they work together to do that. So uh, I think great retail teams, uh, you know, the concept of team is individually productive people working towards a common goal. So they've all got product individual targets and goals as well. So when we work with clients, one of the modules is effective people, and we do look at this in more detail. But they are some of the um, observations I'd make about great leaders. Brian, what do high-performing pharmacists do differently to those that maybe haven't quite realised their potential yet? Well, this might surprise you, but I'd say that they are building their business to be saleable. They're building their business to an ultimate exit value and multiple. They're thinking about, you know, it was said to me once that running a business is like reading a book from the back page first. And, And I think that's so true. So they have an end game in mind and they're really focusing on building their multiples for an ultimate sale or ultimate exit. So everything is about building great value into the business. 
And when we look at really great businesses, as we call them, the fit, they have a few criteria, and, and this is the separation, really, uh, in your question. First of all, they do have that great, unique point of difference. It might be compounding. It might be, you know, aligned to the demographics. Two, they're not overly reliant on the owner to make all the decisions. So they develop teams around them. Three, they have positive cash flow. Four, they have a good database. Five, that if they choose to, they're replicable models. So, and and seven is that they have a growing sales and margin trend. So, they're really the elements that separate uh, the high performers from the not so high performers. On probably one other topic, I'd mention that I didn't do in the leadership question is they're very resilient. So they they keep working at it, they're working to a goal, and they're building a business. So they're building a business that's distinct from um, that beautiful quote ages ago about um, good to great. I think it was good to great. No, built to last, Collins Porter's book where he said some of us are building clocks and some of us are just telling time. It's the clock, it's the clock builders that make the great high-performing pharmacists. I love that quote. I wanted to pick up on something and, and maybe just drive it home for the listeners. You mentioned social media and databases a little bit earlier. A lot of businesses look at marketing as a way to impact their business and rightly so, but they are often confused about what they should be doing, where they should be starting, where they should be focusing. Social media and database marketing are often big ticket items that get spoken about for businesses when we discuss marketing. How important do you think social media and building their own database is for modern pharmacy retail? I think it's important. I think it's important, Daniel, for all businesses. But in pharmacists, the the first point is we we need to have a story to tell. We, We need to have a uniqueness. And we also want to take the position of trusted expert, trusted advisor. And so understanding that then gives us the story that we can uh, portray through a database. So, for example, if we've got a database of our primary market, if I talk about that, and people are coming, obviously volunteering onto the database, we need to give them something in return. Now, that could be a newsletter. It could be VIP nights. It could be information particular to their circumstance that they share with the pharmacist. Um, And so we're building this idea of trusted advisor, not just within the four walls of the pharmacist, but across this um, much broader community. So the idea that retailing starts at 9 a.m. and finishes at 5 p.m. has really diminished now. It's diminished right to the point that I should be able to go and look at my pharmacist's offer information, location, and whatever activity they're doing by sitting on my couch at 9 at nine p.m. at night. And even ordering online from that pharmacist would be great. And so in terms of database, we're building a, a loyal community. And that community interacts as long as we invest into that community. If we don't do that, and we're just sort of a nine-to-five operation, there are plenty of customers who will um, go elsewhere. The piece around social media is, is simply that 
Um, you know, if I told you some of the stats, there's almost a million Facebook visits um, per mi- in a minute around the world. Similar numbers for YouTube, Google. The world of social media is this sort of kaleidoscope of opinion, of knowledge seeking, of sharing, of information. And once again, it's a channel, and we need to use the appropriate medium within social media to communicate to customers in a two-way street about our business, our offer, our personalities in our business, our local community, what we're doing to support. Social media is much less of a selling channel. It's a communication channel. And so the two are important. The first thing I would be doing in a pharmacist if, if, if I was just starting this, social media, I'd probably dabble a little bit on Facebook maybe some of the images of the pharmacist and what you're doing and some of the staff and some events and occasions. And I'd just gently build it that way. And the database, I'd start fairly slowly. Now, there's good CRM, customer relationship management platforms, on that you can link to point-of-sale systems. They're reasonably inexpensive. And they'll start the journey of building a database. Imagine, for example, if a note went out or a little message to every one of your 150, 200 customers, the top customers, and by linking it to point of sale, we know that by spend and so forth, uh, a birthday card or some sort of um, personal invitation to something. That all builds this relationship that's very, very hard to compete with if we invest in it. I think there's some great points there, Brian. If I was listening and I was a pharmacist, I think that's quite exciting. There's lots of opportunities if we're not doing well in that space already. But let's wrap this up with some key actions and takeaways for the listeners. What are some quick wins that our listeners can realize and benefit from after they finish listening to this episode? Uh, well, I do a couple of things. Uh, firstly, I would sit back and consider our point of difference. What are we great at? What are we unique at? What can we do that our competitor pharmacy can't do? What can we do that the person, the business selling any product that we compete in cannot do? And that's online and physical. So I would do that. And then I'd look at my business and I'd look at it in terms of what is my script to retail mix. And then I'd simply take the floor space of my store, for example, let's say it's 200 square meters. And I would divide my non-retail sales by, by that. And I'd look at what my sales per square meter were and I'd say, right, now I'm going to break that down into the categories and I'm going to look at the sales per category and my mix of business. What am I strong in? What am I weak in? What pays its way? What doesn't? What links to the point of difference? What's my stock holding? I'd look at all that and I'd work out my category mix to stock to sales and I'd work out a plan to improve that. Then I'd think about my social media and and data building capabilities that I've touched on. I'd also look at my team. I'd understand their product knowledge. I'd understand how if I have a retail leader, how that retail leader is leading the team. I'd look at our sales per employee, just a bit of a guide. And I would just start to get much sharper, for those who might not be, in my day-to-day operations of my business. And then I think the next stage would be to bring the team into a bit of a plan and build out from there to increase results. 
Um, and so Retail Doctor Group, our consultants work with pharmacists and all retail businesses, and that's quite common starting ground. Um, and that independent set of eyes is helpful as well. And I'd probably do a little bit of mystery shopping or I'd get my friends or relatives or whoever to do a bit of a mystery shop and I'd see what our customer service was like. Um, I'd, I'd start to look at Google reviews. So getting all that customer feedback into the business as well. But first step first, what are we unique at? What are we great at? And what's our business performance like today? And if anyone gets stuck along the way, obviously Retail Doctor Group, as you mentioned, can help. How can people find out more information about it? Come on online to retaildoctor.com.au. They can contact me personally, Brian, at retaildoctor.com.au, B-R-I-A-N, or they can link in to Brian Walker. Outstanding. Brian Walker, CEO and founder of Retail Doctor Group. Thanks for spending some time with us on the show and providing us with some, what I think are some amazing insights and advice on pharmacy retail. Absolute pleasure, Daniel, to you and your listeners. And, uh, you know, in some small way, if we can help independent community pharmacists, we're only too happy and always happy to pick up the phone and have a chat to help out. Thanks again to Brian for sharing his journey and some key insights into the retail landscape. Although community pharmacy can be seen to be under threat from many disruptors. It is also important to highlight the many ways in which community pharmacies can adapt and thrive by pivoting to a service focus, adopting technologies, and increasing business skills and efficiencies. And Brian certainly gave some great advice on how to take advantage of the opportunities there and improve your business. Be sure to connect with Brian and stay up to date with his work as he is a keen content producer in this space. The Guild is committed to supporting community pharmacies and Guild members drive business growth and embed efficient business operations. If you haven't already, make sure you access CP2025 research today and take advantage of key Guild member tools, including the Opportunity Analysis and Script Map 2020 that can also support your business growth. Talk to your Guild branch today to make sure you access these essential business tools to better understand your business and its potential. I've been your host, Daniel Oyston, and you've been listening to episode 29 of the PBCN podcast. The PBCN podcast, supporting your journey every step of the way. For more resources, to access support or advice, or to view this episode's show notes, visit guild.org.au.